goodness gracious scorekeepers it is another episode of your favorite podcast the score (laughs) (laughs) welcome to it i hope everyone is having a decent week it seems like from our little pre-show chat that um i don't know things have been wild are you lee are you okay with the smoke can you breathe can you breathe Um, so it's been you know right before we started recording i turned off my air conditioner because it's really really loud but i've had to have them running in every room for the last couple of days because otherwise the smoke you can smell it inside with the windows closed Mm -hmm. It is, it's really intense. Um, the first night I had an event for work and it was, it was clear something was going on, but it wasn't yet being widely reported what it was. So I was walking a little bit in it and I've had uh, burning eyes and chest pain since. Um, it, wow. It's, it's really intense. And I was out to dinner with a, a really brilliant composer friend of mine and a bunch of young women who are, you know, getting involved in the art form. And she had to pull out her inhaler maybe three times at dinner. So like in an hour and a half, like three times, right? It's really, really been terrible here. Um, So Godspeed to our friends in Canada, because if it's bad here, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Um, Yeah, but it's been pretty pretty scary not to mention it looks like what damien referred to as a doomsday filter mm-hmm. being placed <laughs> over it really does it looks yeah. like a movie about mars or something yeah mm-hmm. it was really really scary to kind of sit through and think about what it meant that like the sort of particulate count had gone from like 15 on a normal day to 600 on the worst day of this. I don't even know what that means, but my body certainly was letting me know, don't go outside, whatever you think you're doing, there is nothing happening that is that important that can't either be a Zoom, a phone call, a, a text, something. So yeah, yeah, things are things are super fun in New York. Woo! Wow. <laughs> wow, yeah. my yeah. goodness. I've been hearing a lot of people comment that just like, Oh, we probably should have kept those masks around. Uh, like, I never that, got rid of mine. Same. Show did it. Same. I ordered a new pack of KN95s mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. in pretty uh, assortment of jewel tone colors. And there are enough and there are enough people around me in my orbit that have gotten COVID recently. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, well, that's yeah. not over either. So we yeah, should have that? these masks on hand anyway. So Oh, you know what? I didn't introduce us. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Rocky. Hi, hello. Nice to meet you. Um, (laughs) The person we're praying for in the smoke is Dr. Lee Bynum. (laughs) And of course, the lovely, the luminous Paige Reynolds. Hello, Paige. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a big, big month here on The Score. Um, It is Pride Month, of course. Happy Pride, everyone. Please go back, if you haven't, and listen to the trans takeover from uh, our last episode. (laughs) 
Precisely. And of course, next uh, episode, we will have our incredible uh, annual Juneteenth panel moderated by the fabulous Dr. Lee Bynum. Cannot wait for that. Um, and also, I'm just going to say up top, we kind of have a big major announcement about the show <laughs> that I think we're going to make next week um, or next episode, rather. Um, so just in case you're one of those people that doesn't stay all the way to the end when I make all these messy announcements. (laughs) 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 Um, Stay tuned for that. But, you know, Juneteenth is coming up and it is taken on, it seems like such a life of its own. Like now it is a, a national holiday. And, you know, I think we've never actually just sort of like sat down and talked about um our feelings about Juneteenth um and so it seems like tis the season (laughs) (laughs) and so Paige you you brought this up um and so I'm just curious what what's on your mind what's on your spirit yeah so I I want to talk about like a particular instance that made me bring it up so you know I think I think some of the response around Juneteenth is a perfect example of just DEI diversity equity and inclusion gone wrong (laughs) gone very wrong Uh, what happens when you just take stuff and run with it so there was a city in one of the Carolinas I want to say that maybe it was Asheville but I might be wrong (laughs) I'm so sorry Asheville if it was not you um I think that they were having like some type of citywide, countywide, like Juneteenth celebrations. And they're, um, I guess somehow in the marketing, they decided that they wanted to just try to be inclusive. (laughs) So they had a bunch of white people on Juneteenth signs. Yes. There was in this place. Come again? Yes. 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 They had like a, like a, a white man and woman like smiling on like a Juneteenth and like, sign, and like holding hands, walking yes. down the street. I also <laughs> believe in this in this same place, or maybe it's just a r- related conversation. Like someone on, uh, I'm Facebook friends with was like leading like a yoga session during June, like a Juneteenth part of a Juneteenth series. Why they put a white woman on the flyer for her yoga session? They changed it. They eventually changed it. But I was just like, see, this is the stuff where this is the stuff we're talking about. Y'all, y'all, y'all are are all of our non-black friends <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs> Let, let's just be very clear. Juneteenth is about the emancipation <laughs> of descendants, <laughs> black descendants. Of American chattel slavery. (laughs) It is about our freedom, our rest, our resilience, uh, you know, our continued, continued struggle and continued healing. This is not about you. This is not about you. If you are doing something that is in any way congratulatory, 
toward yourself, you should you need to check it. You just you need you need to check it. You 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 might have got lost somewhere. Uh I don't know how we I don't know if it's like capitalism just being wild or just you know our modern media being so wild how things get convoluted so easily with how information travels so fast and things become viral but it's like truly shocking to kind of watch how people have spun it so fast um honestly I even feel a way about some places that give everybody a day off for Juneteenth. I feel like if you don't got no black people working there, why is everybody <laughs> You better get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you take the entire day to do a summit on reparations. <laughs> or maybe you take the entire day to just, I don't know, just go help, go help black people with something. You know, like, like that's the spirit of this, of this holiday. Like, are you understanding? Are we understanding? Yeah, so that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> I want to hear like, y'all's thoughts. I'm just like picturing it's like that that video, that Meg Stalter video that went viral a couple of years ago at the beginning of of Pride Month. She's like, "Hi, gay. We are sashing away, sashaying away with deals." This pride. <laughs> I'm just picturing like someday somebody's like, hi black, this Juneteenth. <laughs> a 30% discount. Like I just oh my God. Is that what this is gonna become? Like a yeah. Hallmark holiday? Like I'm gonna yeah. get like cards in the mail from like white acquaintances. Like yeah. sorry, our ancestors enslaved your ancestors. Yeah. Celebrate our special three fifths discount. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't have a lot of words for it because A, I am legitimately shocked by people putting non-black people on any kind of advertisement for Juneteenth. Like some something feels like very confused about that, like very, very confused about that. Um, in terms of this holiday becoming, you know, commercialized and, you know, perhaps perverted along the way to being any number of other kinds of things, I think nothing is more American than that, right? Mm. Like, you know, I can't think of a, a holiday we have here in this country that doesn't really feel like it isn't completely divorced from its roots, whether it is, you know, pagan roots or political roots or or artistic roots, like like things seem not to be able to keep keep from being co-opted here, right? Like it, it's been alarming to me that over the course of the last couple of years, where I hear the the most frequently consistently made references to MLK are on the far right right like the ways that that rhetoric has been co-opted to sort of position people against equity movements and you would think that he only gave one speech and that one <laughs> speech consisted of one line <laughs> right. right right and and the and how easy it has been for people to sort of erase the you know the the roots around um organizing with labor and, and some deeply radical principles that 
are, are very present in his work and and you know that that's like not a part of it anymore right it's all coloring books and nonsense now and thinking about that happening to juneteenth i i absolutely expected um i i absolutely expect it right that's that's mm. how the the thing works and we are really going to lose very quickly especially with black history any history, all history, American history coming out of schools, right? Kids aren't going to have any sense of what the antecedent was. If you're not talking about slavery, then then how are you contextualizing what Juneteenth is, why it's significant, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's just wildly ironic in some ways. I, I, I don't know y'all, I've, I've been actively contemplating getting out of here. And by here, I mean, earth like i'm i'm just not <laughs> I, I don't see this relationship as being sustainable for too much longer um i got nothing y'all have really deeply disquieted my morning so <laughs> oh by the way the city the city was greenville south carolina greenville so greenville south Asheville. carolina talk, talking to you Oh my god. I was going to be surprised cuz Asheville in my experience, you know, tends to have their 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 poop together. Yeah, and I'm a little surprised too. Yeah, I don't know there's at least, you know, shout, there's shout some out to Asheville. There. Yeah. Shout out to Harvest Records in Asheville. Everybody go shop there, get your records there. Um <laughs> We are uh, in an age though of like ducks not being in a row right no. and and i think in many rows it's not we've got like ducks and chickens and geese and pigs and everything else in the row and i think that's part of what the issue is right like everything in this moment is meant to be everything to all people because i think that's simpler than actually thinking through what it means to be equitable instead we just kind of say we're we're going to fling all the doors open and everything is equal, every perspective is weighted in exactly the same way. There is no articulation of nuance. There is no historical or social context to anything. I mean, the fact that we are in 2023 and people still tweet out things regularly around, you know, not understanding why there isn't a straight pride, right? Or a few days ago, a certain celebrity's parent had tweeted mm. something about um, make sure you uh hug a straight person and thank them for your being here in the month of june right and it it, it was just like impossibly needlessly ignorant you know like what what's actually happening it's it's like people are embracing the spirit of knowing nothing lately and i do feel like it's increasing right it didn't always feel like people were were this proud to be out of out of touch and, and have an uninformed perspective like people i don't know i feel like that's been a thing for a while now oh well, unfortunately yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah well i might need to find my bubble and stay in it then because i am not enjoying it I mean, especially really historically not. you yeah. know people with the most the privileged power especially you know white folk are gonna one thing that's gonna happen is having audacity they're gonna have some <laughs> audacity more than more than is sensible 
Yeah. Well, it's like I keep saying on this show, I believe that everyone knows everything. And it's like, we're looking at (laughs) historically things that like clearly do not work for a huge segment of the population that a much smaller segment of the population is able to capitalize on. And then you ask those those folks, like, this is not working. Clearly, people are are sick. People are, are, are houseless. People are dying. People are unable to feed and clothe themselves. And they sit over here and they go, oh, wh- what? What are you talking about? Oh, I had no idea. Oh, let's have a benefit. Let's have a fundraiser. Let's have a Juneteenth picnic. Like, and it's it's just like, you know what you're doing. Like, Bustin Jeeber's dad knew exactly what he was doing <laughs> <laughs> and what he was saying when he tweeted that out. Like, we all like we all had this exact same. There was this cultural moment. I remember in 2014, Laverne Cox is on the cover of Time magazine, and we're talking about transgender folks and what what it's all about, the science behind it. Everyone seemed to understand, but now here we are what, nine years later, and everyone has just, everyone's memories have just reset. No, you know what's going on. This is just a a big political football. (laughs) And we're just demonizing the small group of people because it's politically expedient and people are making money off of it. That's it. That's all. And that's just, you know, been the case since the beginning of time. My whole thing, (laughs) you know, in, in 2020... I feel like sometimes I get sort of gaslit around it as well, especially being an EDI professional. Um, Professional, in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, in 2020, I had a very well-meaning white coworker send me an email saying like, well, you know, I just feel like it's really important this year in the the wake of, you know, Mr. Floyd's murder, that, like, we do something around Juneteenth, like, commemorate it or celebrate it in some way. I just think that would be a really good, inclusive thing to do. And I wrote them back, and I was like, um, no. (laughs) 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 This is a Black thing for Black people, but thank you. And then all these other people like came and got in my ear and was like, well, I mean, I think really this is a time for us to come together and show unity and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, finally just kind of like, okay, I guess. And then all of a sudden it's a national holiday and all of a sudden Nancy Pelosi and them are wearing kente cloth and kneeling and the Capitol Rotunda. And I was just like, okay, well, I guess maybe this is a sign of of progress. Maybe this is a sign that we're moving forward. And I just sort of need to soften my outlook on it. And now here we are in Greenville, South Carolina. So North Carolina, South Carolina, either one. Um, And I just feel like I was right. (laughs) I should have followed my gut. Yep. I mean, my thing is also, I I think with a lot of like pushes for, you know, inclusivity and, you know, the different kind of things that uh, non-Black folks sometimes run with in this way, I I just always want to pause and ask, who asked you to do that? Who asked you to do that? 
did black people ask you to do that or are you right now i i think you'd think like a lot of people you know maybe they get activated or they feel like they need to do something to like it and i i wish people would pause and think about how much that urgency has to do with their own discomfort around racism and knowing that it exists and just pause instead of just doing something that makes you feel good you, like what are black people act actually asking you to do what are we actually asking for because ain't nobody asked y'all to organize these Juneteenth events. And also, inclusivity is not always the goal, or at least in the way that you think it is. Um, everything being racially inclusive, I think a lot of the time is actually about the comfort of, again, the comfort of non-Black folks. Because a lot of the time, if you ask Black folks what we actually want, we need some more spaces to just rest and be amongst ourselves, <laughs> especially in a place like Minnesota where more of us are isolated. There's just like less of us here or fewer in, you know, number. Um, you know, if you're in, if especially in workspaces, a lot of us are more isolated. And so if your Juneteenth event is like, everybody get together. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, as the black person in the room, am, am side eyeing it um, because yes. if you if you had asked me what I what I actually wanted for Juneteenth, uh, <laughs> it's probably not the inclusive picnic where people make poor attempts at cooking black cuisine or whatever. Oh no! Oh no! Or whatever people are doing out here, you know. Oh no, we are just a barrel of joy this afternoon, aren't we? <laughs> aren't we just? But you know what? We will be a barrel of joy in a couple of minutes. I mean, I think we should put a pin in this conversation right now, and we will definitely return to it um, next episode when we have our Juneteenth panel, um, because our fabulous guest is in the waiting room, and we need to let him in. And Lee, I think I think you know him. We'll Are see. Your, your friends? We'll, we'll see. Maybe? Okay. <laughs> we will be right back <laughs> with singer, artist, composer, all-around lovely person, and I'm told Dr. Lee Bynum's lovely husband, Damien Norfleet, when we return. Oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> us who knew you. We did not talk to you. We gave you directions. All of us who knew you, we did not see you, because for us, there was nothing to see. And with our fingernails, all of us who knew you pushed our shame into you. All of us who knew you plucked our beauty from inside of you. We hope, we pray that you 
eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself too. Cause we believe that we're beautiful. We believe that we're worthy. We believe that we're truly blessed. We believe that we're highly favored. We believe that we're passionate. We believe that we're eloquent. We are worthy. We are worthy. We are worthy. We love ourselves. We hope that you, we pray that you, they pray that you, they hope that you, I hope that. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself too. Cause we believe that we're beautiful, we believe that we're worthy, we believe that we're witty, we believe that we're decorated, we believe that we're ornamented, we believe that we're elegant, we believe that we're brilliant, we are glowing, we are glowing, we are glowing, we love ourselves. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself too. He believes that he's beautiful. She believes that she's beautiful. They believe that they're beautiful. We are glowing. 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 You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself too. You with eyes of blue, we hope you love yourself too. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us through the break. We have a very, very, very special guest with us today. Someone that if you are a loyal scorekeeper, and I know you are, you have heard about many, many times, but you finally will get to hear from the wonderful Damien Norfleet. Yay! Yay! Family reunion. Family <laughs> <laughs> reunion. Yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to be here, y'all. <laughs> we are excited to have you. And just so the audience can be as excited as we are, I will share just a little bit about who you are with them, and then we'll jump into a lovely conversation. Damien Norfleet is a gifted improvisational singer, performance artist, actor, and social justice activist who has occupied a rare multidimensional space in the performing arts. Norfleet brings a range of emotions and commands both stage and screen with a strong presence and powerful singing. Across spoken word, song, and poetry, his output focuses on space, language, and phonemic awareness. Barrymore award-winning and Ernie Award-nominated actor Damien Norfleet has been a guest artist at the New England Conservatory of Music and Bread and Puppet Theater, taught a master class at Bennington College, conducted a vocal health seminar for performers from Hong Kong Disney, and presented at a symposium for student artists from Taiwan, Singapore, and Hong Kong. His workshop developed and directed new works with the John Duffy Institute for New Opera, American Opera Project, and the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU Tisch. 
2022, Damien was a consultant to Lighthouse Art Space Minneapolis to reimagine the space for future performances, exhibits, and residencies. He co-curated Young, Gifted, and Black and Love in Times of Alienation with the Concerts and the Heights Ensemble, both presented at New York's Lehman Art Gallery. 2021 began with Blessed for Opera Philadelphia's digital commissioning series. 2022 began with the collaboration with 13-time Grammy Award-winning producer Judith Sherman. And 2023 begins with Praise Pecola, a commissioned piece for voice and bass clarinet inspired by Toni Morrison's seminal work, The Bluest Eye. The duet Praise Pecola had its world premiere at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center by clarinetist Moran Katz and vocalist Damian Norfleet during Ensemble Pie's concert, Band Books. Norfleet traversed the U.S. as a lead actor, as a vocalist and saxophonist in the nationally touring production In the Mood, a 1940s musical review. He played the role of Smith in the 2012 Drama Desk Award-nominated production of The Three Penny Opera. In 2014, Norfleet performed in an experimental opera at the Guggenheim Museum as part of the Works in Process series. And soon thereafter, he portrayed Terrence Roberts in the world premiere of the play Little Rock, which earned him and the cast a Barrymore Award for Best Ensemble. Damien also played Scar in Hong Kong's Lion King, and on screen, Damien starred in the comedy series Cooperation with Lacey Gorenson and Phoebe Robinson, partnered with Andre Bauer, Brower and Felicia Rashad in the feature film Emily and Tim, and is currently cast as the Pharaoh Akhenaten in the Afrofuturist feature film trilogy, Protector of the Gods. Damien was honored to be a featured performer at the ACLU's Beacon of Liberty Awards, honoring Terrence McNally. He has performed principal roles with Glimmerglass Opera, Portland Opera, American Opera Projects, Opera Philadelphia, Opera on Film, and appeared in concert at Lincoln Center. He's been blessed to work with amazing artists like Judith Sherman, composers Courtney Bryan and Kiru Okoye, Josvani Terry and Trevor Weston, visual artists Tiana Nakia McLaughlin, Peter Schumann and Katia Popova, costume designer Miradrag Gubernovic, and conductors David Bloom and David Charles Abel, and stage directors Diane Paulus and Lars Jan, and regularly collaborates with two socially conscious ensembles, The Dream Unfinished and Ensemble Pie. Ooh. <laughs> so sorry. Um, <laughs> Have some water. <laughs> this is all so good. I just don't want to leave anything out. As a young artist, Damien served as the associate principal bassoonist of the Orchestra of the Pines, studied classical vocal pedagogy with Dr. David Jones and Dr. Robert Sadaloff, attended master classes with Dalton Baldwin and Warren Jones, was mentored by Tom Krause, and enjoyed a brief stint as a resident artist at the acclaimed Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. This was the moment Mr. Norfleet turned his attention to acting. Immediately upon leaving AVA, he was accepted into the acting studio of director Peter Pryor at University of the Arts and later studied Shakespeare with Sybil Lines of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And fun fact, Damien studied West African dance with Janine Oseyande. Thank you so much for being with us today, Damien. It is such a pleasure to have you here and to learn a lot of stuff that I did not know, despite the fact that we have been married for the last 10 years. 
10 glorious years. Thank you. That was a really nice welcome. You read the whole thing. I sure did. I'm I'm really impressed. Oh, wow. Well, I'm impressed that you're impressed. (laughs) So, Damien, um, love having you on the show because I, I think so much of the work that you're doing intersects with a lot of the things that are really, really important to us here. And I think we would be remiss in not asking you, what is it that inspires this particular direction in your work, right? These themes around social justice and um, sort of social engagement come up very consistently in what I read, both things that you are creating as well as things that you are participating in as a performer. So I'm just curious, what what is inspiring that for you? Um, <clears throat> I guess there are two strong answers for that. The first being, I guess like many artists, um, my work and, and the direction of my output is heavily inspired by my present. Um, I get inspired by things I hear, see, people I meet, things that have happened, the weather, <laughs> weather changes, um, all those kinds of things. And, you know, for those who can't see me, I am a, a gay black man living in America. So uh, just that alone um, <laughs> makes certain social aspects just part of my everyday present, You know, which is very interesting. When I talk to some of my peers who are not gay black men or queer and or of color, um, you know, I think for a lot of them, dabbling into this kind of social justice sphere is voluntary and they can kind of dab in then then dab out when they want to and you know uh, that isn't an option for 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 many of us so just my existence um automatically puts a lot of my emphasis and exposure and uh, and, and a lot of inspirations are drawn from just a lot of our um, socio-political actions in the country. Um, but the, a, a second answer, which I guess is more intentional, is um, things need to be said and things need to be discussed and things need to be learned and things need to be known about. And um, it's funny because the second part of the answer is something that I've really been kind of questioning a lot as a person, and as an artist, um, I questioned for a while, and go with me here for a second, because some of this is past tense and it's not exactly where I am right now, but there was a a long period where I was really questioning the effectiveness of um, activism um, in the arts, period. You know, there there are people out there marching and doing die-ins and hunger strikes and voting and running for office and all these kinds of things. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write a little song about it. And then, you know, I think during the the pandemic, during the lockdown, where there was just um, so fewer distractions um, because we were homebound and there was just, things reached us in a different way without being diffused through any other kind of these filters that exist in normal life when you can go out and about, out and about in the world. And um, that's really when I really started questioning how much I was doing. I I remember specifically living in uh, Harlem when in the heart of the pandemic and there was another incidence of uh, police brutality. And even though there was this raging pandemic going on and we still, we knew so little about it then that it was even scarier. 
even with that, people were still marching outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 two things hit me from that. One, I was like, oh my God, it's so dangerous. You know, and then I was like, oh my God, y'all are so brave because this is how necessary this is to, I mean, it was just, it was very inspiring at the same time that it was um, daunting, you know, but anyway, so that's a roundabout way to get back to things just need to be said and, and brought to light literally. And then something happened over the last six months that um, just kind of reinvigorated my intentional reason for writing in these spaces. And I was attending another event. It was actually a gala. And I was sitting next to some people who clearly um, are different than I, <laughs> which put that way in all kinds of ways. And there was a piece being performed that dealt with blackness um and the things that came across the stage to me were very like yeah i mean duh yeah i've heard that twenty thousand times yeah of course yeah yeah but then the person next to me who was not black um it was the first time they had heard it (laughs) it was the first time they had heard this basic kind of thing just about relationships and just like um this particular part of being black in america and and that's when i realized i was like oh some of you there is there is a group of people who they don't read articles if they see a headline that says any of these kinds of words, blackness, queerness, um, identity, gender, and they just kind of skip through it because they don't want to deal with it at the moment. And there's just a population of people though, those same population, some of those people from that population, they do frequent concerts and they are my com- extended community in a way of artists and uh, whether they're creators or, or you know, consumers thereof. And I was like, wow, those people heard this for the first time because that artist decided to make a piece based on this. And it just kind of reminded me that it, it is effective. You know, I mean, marching in the street is effective. Voting is effective, but also creating art centered on some of these themes is also effective. Um, so that's that's kind of why uh, why a lot of my work has centered in this in this space. Does that answer the question? I, I tend to kind of ramble sometimes. <laughs> I give everyone here license to wrangle me back in if I ever go on a tear that has nothing to do with the question at hand. Um, look who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> My Sagittarius Mercury is like, what? Ramble? Okay. <laughs> No, that that was that was great, and it was also important to mm-hmm. hear, right? Because I I feel like there's such a tension for those of us who sit on the administrative side sometimes in thinking about the ways that opportunities are made available to queer people, to black people, to other people of color, to to women, where we are sometimes saying. We are interested in your art, but only if it is sort of advancing something on this particular piece of the agenda around, <clears throat> you know, assuaging some issue or, or concern that we have, as opposed to opportunities that may be being given to, you know, majority creators, right? Just create a piece of art, right? And, and we give you money for that. And we're not asking for you to like explicate the white experience with it, although that is frequently what happens, right? So I, you know, that's, that's the thing that I, I feel like I'm constantly wrestling with and trying to make sense of as a, as a paradigmatic framework for engaging artists of color. 
Yeah. If I can, if I can add to, um, if I can add to that, Lee, I also am curious with, with artists of color also when, I mean, I, I think, in, especially in this climate, when we're talking about our lives or centering our stories in general, we're experiencing um, different kinds of backlash, you know, um, and I feel like that is that can be doubly so for for people who are directly, you know, a, a, having more of like an educational or advancing, uh, you know, social justice in some way, you know, um, I feel like that, you know, the risks are even are even greater, just like the kind of considerations that we have to make these days and administrators have to think about it for like a company and like the artists themselves, like protecting them. And a thing that came to mind <laughs> as we were also all, all talking is Toni Morrison talking about, you know, racism and, you know, it distracts us from doing our work. And like, that's one of being one of the main uh, features that it, you know, takes up our, eats up our energy, eats up our our time. And so I wonder what that balance is like for you also as a, as an artist, you know, to <laughs> be focused in this way <laughs> and not let, you know, how do you, you take care of yourself? How can administrators even, or people running companies take better care and not get into that realm of being distracted? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I do know what you mean. You know, it, it's a, it's a very, um, hot topic in the world of, of uh, presenters of, of, of uh, performances and, and, and commissioning bodies. And, and it, it, there has been a very interesting conversation between creators and composers and these commissioning bodies um, and institutions, these presenting institutions. <clears throat> I think the first thing I, I think is very important in the process of engaging an artist of color to write about their experiences is clarity, first of all. Be very clear, if you're the commissioning body um, or the presenter, be very clear what it is you want from your artist of color or your queer artist or anyone else. If you really just want a piece about queerness or about blackness, that is a very different ask than asking someone to write about trauma related to their blackness mm -hmm. or trauma related to their queerness. And I think when the commissioning bodies and or presenters, if they start being specific with that ask of like, can you please write about your trauma? When they hear that out loud, I think maybe they'll present uh, or uh, approach the engagement differently with a different kind of sensitivity and a different kind of patience and understanding and hopefully a different kind of compensation because that's a very different ask yeah. than mm -hmm. to someone to write about a joyous occasion than to write about your trauma right because going back to what your second part of the question uh that that you added in their page to to write about a traumatic situation i mean first of all if trauma happens to a person it's horrible Right. And if it, when we watch it in the news, like I love that how right now it's becoming part of public discourse about how trauma is relived by watching trauma happen to a similar person to you, how it actually triggers an actual somatic uh, uh, reaction in you. I'm so glad that so many psychologists are talking about that now because we just so routinely throw these acts on the news and we're rewatching it on YouTube and TikTok over and over and just constantly re-injuring ourselves, right? Um, but 
it's one thing to watch it and it's one thing for it to happen to you. It's another thing to have to use that as your well from which you draw to create your, your work because you're, you're not just hearing about it. You're literally putting yourself in the position of the actors in that story. You are, you are literally trying to like figure out how does it feel to actually be shot? What is, what is the fear that happens when you know danger is approaching? What is the, you go through the scenarios and it really does affect you because writing, uh, a piece, whether it's a full symphony or a duet or a poem, takes time, right? It's not like you just sit down and in 30 seconds you write it out or in three and a half minutes, like, like a, a newsreel might be, and then it's over. When you're writing a piece, I mean, you are reliving and like incorporating yourself and allowing yourself to feel all the feels that happen when exposed to these scenarios for hours, days, weeks, months. So that 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 process can really take a toll. And I just feel like sometimes when the askers are asking those who are supposed to provide these pieces based on trauma, I don't think they're always being aware of that artist is going to have to sit with this for months or and just steep themselves and that's a, that's a very affecting process um but then the other on the other side going back to lee's first part of the question of the interaction between the two i think it is important i think it is a great thing that that those who program are programming things about this because again like my first part of the previous question there are audiences out there who never hear about this don't know about this um aren't presented a a safe space, if you will, to to listen to these stories and be encouraged to think um, and given time to do so kind of privately, right? You know, sometimes when you're in a public conversation about these topics, you say something, someone says something back immediately. That's deterring for a lot of people to engage in conversations like this. But when you're attending these works that sometimes can last three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you're at least given that window where it's just you absorbing and then you getting to think about it right so it, I, I think it, doing these kinds of pieces based on these kinds of topics provides this kind of safe think space which is what people need to do people need to think about these topics not just hear them and react to them we need to think about them and and weigh pros and cons and, and compare it to our experiences and compare it to the future we want to see all these kinds of things so in, in this imaginary scenario, if someone wants to commission an artist to write about these topics, well, then it's up to the, the artist to figure out yes or no. <laughs> now, I do understand there's a reality of this is our job and livelihood. We are not all in a position to say no to a, a bag. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you need that bag and you're like, yes, I need this commission. And But then you have to be very honest with yourself. You know, there are, money is just money. And there are lots of ways to make money. And you have to decide for yourself as an artist is, do I want to subject myself to a potential extended exposure to trauma for X amount of money? And you have to be honest with yourself, too, before you agree to that. If that's what's being presented to you, if it's being presented to you, then it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to engage in that. Now, if there's a situation where you have to, you know, I mean, these are all conversations. I, I, think, I think the problem that happens is the drawing of these of these agreements, you know, um, it just it, it just needs to involve conversation. There needs to be a little back and forth so everybody understands it and they're on the same page through this process. Because as you alluded to, Paige, there is sometimes a need for a, a different kind of support system to be put in place if you're asking someone to create around their trauma. 
you know, it, it may involve a different kind of flexibility from a presenter than they normally would provide for a piece where it's just like, hey, write about, you know, cats. I don't, I don't know, you know, unless that's traumatic for you. But um, I, I just think well, there's... The Andrew Lloyd Webber one or just a... Well, I was thinking more like female. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more about McGonagall. I'm sure you've all met McGonagall because she insists on being involved whenever there's a camera around. But no, I just think, I think as long as there's this, uh, uh, just clear communication and flexibility, it just has to be a little flexibility. Now listen, due dates deadlines, things like that are realities and those may need to be fixed. But a certain amount of communication between the two, I don't know, I, I just think it, the problems, I mean, I've been involved in conversations on both sides or I've been privy to conversations on both sides from, I've been watching, a, uh, I've watched a commissioner speak to a prospective composer and, and then they both spoke to me individually without each other. And it was very interesting how, you know, one person said, hey, can you write, can you write something about this? The other person heard, oh, this, the process continued for months before they realized they had different understandings and then there was a misunderstanding, you know? So it's it's important, but I just really, really would stress to presenters, just realize what you're asking, you know what I mean? And, and, and treat it as such. Um, but there's also this, you know, there is nothing wrong with asking someone to write about black joy there is nothing wrong with asking someone to write about gay pride like there's there's nothing wrong with those things you know but um i, I don't know it, it's a very tricky thing but i think the thing that i would stress the most is everyone needs to understand this it's very personal and it's very individual and, um, you know, presenters are, they they ask these questions and search for materials with their audiences in mind. And every presenting organization has a different audience. So composers and those who are prospective accepting prospective uh, grants or re receivers of commissions also need to understand that the presenter also has responsibility and just have conversations about that. You don't have to have, you don't have to say yes or no in the first conversation, like figure it out so we're both comfortable. Now, in the event that that doesn't happen because more often than not, that's not the process. You know, more often than not, they already have their system in place. They're like, here, we have this commission for you, yes or no. You know what I mean? Um, you just you just have to learn how to compartmentalize things. And as 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 a creator on those sides, the thing I have found, um, speaking about Toni Morrison specifically, the last piece I was commissioned to do was about Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. And if you've read Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, you know, it's chock full of trauma. And I immediately was like, oh God, I'm going to, have to go in this space. Oh my God, I'm going to, have to go in this space. I'm going to, have to go in this space. And I read the book and I went in that space. But then I sat with it for a while and I realized that there's also a part of this process of creating around trauma that can be cathartic for you. Like I figured out a way to use this trauma and work through this trauma that on the end became a very, very cathartic exercise for me. And the piece ended up being um, a much lighter piece. It was, it was a piece that also shared uh, the joyous lesson that can be gleaned from that novel rather than here, everyone, let's, let's all you know, communally stew in this trauma for a while. I mean, that's an option, but so is option B. So, you know, you really, you just really have to figure out um, an openness and communication and a patience and a sensitivity when asking someone to write something that's sensitive in, in nature and origin, I think.
Damien, can I ask a quick follow-up to that? Be, of course. Because there's this, this thing that I've been observing over the last couple of years where I, I think we have um, sometimes a very unsophisticated relationship to the power of the arts in this country, right? Where I'll talk to colleagues or potential funders or, or people in the community who are saying things like, talk to me about how your work helps benefit us by doing some something that is somehow unrelated to the art, right? Like the idea that the arts, you know, benefit us because they make us better citizens or, you know, arts education makes us better at science and math and technology or, you know, the arts are a means of solving societal problems as opposed to the arts are reflections of the the humans that create them, right? So like they they have this, in my opinion, right, this really broad um, existence that that are that are in response to whatever that person is creating, and and there is value in that in and of itself, even if it doesn't like solve trauma or make us think differently or cause us to be better citizens. Sometimes it's just there to reflect where somebody is in the moment that they wrote that song or or you know created that painting, what have you. Does does that feel like a a resonant idea for you as an artist and and sort of as an artist who is sometimes being paid to respond to prompts um yeah you know i think in this country definitely in the american public school system i can speak for that because i'm a product thereof the arts has been relegated to an elective it's always been it's an elective course from our childhood to an adulthood and it's already kind of position to this like just outer friend it's not a real topic you know it's not one of the three r's and all those kinds of things so it's always kind of kind of built in but you know we we it, it's funny because when they when, when people say they want to use arts as this kind of supplemental thing they often use examples of something um like play mozart for your unborn child to they'll become better thinkers <laughs> you know what i mean like that's such a common thing and or um We'll just, we'll just stick with that one for, for sake of time. If we know that music and art in general is transcendent and encourages you to think, which alluding back to my, my previous uh, blurb, giving people a place to think is how you, it's, it's, you learn from thinking. You don't learn from reading. You know, you don't learn from from doing things, but it, it's when you, you receive information and then you process it, you think, you figure out how you feel about it. Well, that 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 act of thinking is a an act that you have to practice like any other act. You know what I mean? You become a better thinker by thinking, just like you become a better singer by practicing singing or you become a better writer by writing. You become a better thinker by actually thinking. And I don't think we spend enough time as a society of doing that, but a more specific answer to your question of why I don't think it should be treated as this French thing, that, that essential skill of knowing how to think is exactly what art teaches us, right? We, we, we get these um, potentially abstract images or sounds or whatever, and then we have to do the exercise of 
allowing them to come in and you process them, you, you move them around, then you figure out what do I think that is? What do I think that means? What do I think that represents? And that is the very act that is missing in society today, right? We're not, people aren't thinking for themselves. They're hearing whatever they want from their far left or from their far right or from their small community or from some foreign community. And then they, they hear it and they just kind of repeat it. They don't process, they don't even think enough to think like, do I agree with it or not? You know, and it's, that is the importance of the arts is it, it, it transcends specific messages, specific languages, and engages us to do things like think and feel. The arts leads directly to being able to empathize and to process. And I personally think we should treat arts as a as that. You know, you know what I mean? As as the means of people learning how to be more empathetic and to be free thinkers, because that is exactly what the arts does. And you know, it's it's a it's a shame. Yes, there are other there are there are other yeah. Yes, it is true. There are other byproducts. You can, you know, they say it helps you become better with math or this that and the other. Sure, maybe those things are true, but again, I think the real emphasis of that is is how much it encourages us to think and to feel. Which and those two things are what make us better people. You know, what I mean, that is how yeah. you evolve from being a child to an adult is by learning from your experiences, processing your experiences and knowing how to A, not do that again or B, figure out better ways to do things. And yeah, I mean, that's that has been my view of, of the arts and that is that is my approach to the music that I write. And it's my approach to the way I perform. I mean, I've been accused sometimes of being a little too serious. <laughs> sometimes, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not really important if you breathe there or not. I'm like, yes, but it is. You know, I'm like, it is important. <laughs> and so it's, um, but it leads to that because if there's, I mean, it, it, music specifically, well, art, all art, it, we, we're, we are very aware that it, it transcends language, right? You don't have to speak Italian to enjoy a song being sung in Italian. You don't have to speak English to enjoy. I mean, look, look at half the world. Everybody's doing hip hop. You know, I mean, it's one of my favorite mm -hmm. things is uh, Lee showed me uh, a video the other day of, of someone in Hong Kong performing a, a TikTok video to a song. They clearly didn't know what the words meant, but they were hitting those beats. You know, what I mean, it was <laughs> like they were doing that dance. I mean, they were, they were doing it, but it was so clear that they had no idea what the song was about because they were getting all hyped. It was literally about a breakup or something like that. But it was just it, it has this trans transcendent uh, quality which I think we'd be better as a society if we treat it more like an entree and less like a side of mashed potatoes. I think it would really, really just benefit us as people as we really started understanding that art is the main, the main course. I mean, you know, the fact it's what I find so funny about that is the, you know, the Western European and I dare say American education still kind of goes back to the process of that being taught in like ancient Greece and Rome, right? There's still a lot of roots in that system of education that have kind of transcended to our major universities today. And art wasn't an elective back then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was an mm -hmm. absolute main course, right? It was like, it would be, a, yeah, huh, that's funny. That's double entendre given I just compared it to. <laughs> but it was a main thing then. I don't know when that changed, um, but perhaps we should try changing it back and just see what happens. You know, let's just see if music was a, 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 you know, a required course that you had to, and not just an objective. Let's just see what happens if poetry was a main course and not just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do think though it's inarguable that art uh, 
makes better society. We all know that everyone who invests millions of dollars does it because they understand that. And I think we all know that, you know, music and art makes you a better thinker. So I'm like, if we put all these things that we know about it, that we use separately to qualify them as being these little side side hustles, side gigs, if we just listen to why it's a side gig and then put it all together, it, it makes it very clear it's not a side gig. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the main point. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how to change it. That might be better more, you know, for, for you and your colleagues, Lee, in programming who can do those things. Because um, I think we all know it. You know, when times oh, get tough, we don't, we don't turn to a, a a treatise or an article. We put on our song that helps us get through it. Like we all mm -hmm. know it's that it occupies that space. It, it, we should probably start acting on it, you know. Did they answer your huh. question at all? I have no idea. Again, <laughs> no, it, it, ab it absolutely did. And, and you know, to, to that point, this may be a conversation that the podcast will end and I'll just like walk into the next room and we will continue because <laughs> I think there's <laughs> a, a whole lot here, right? But, you know, as I think about what responsibilities that those of us who work in the arts have to advocate for its relevance and its centrality, like, I, I think there are ways that we're we're not consistently getting to why people should care and why people should invest in it in a different way, right? Like, mm. I, I, I feel like the arguments are, are not enough about this is vital to who we are. It is the very expression of who we are. And this is the legacy that we leave to past generations. Uh, you know, as an historian, I'd love to think people are going to pick up my work and be reading that in 100 years, but it's much more likely that somebody might be singing a song that I wrote a hundred years from now, right? Like I and yeah. and thinking about what that meant for everybody who is a person like me right now, what kind of expressions of my existence I'm making and and the sort of things that I'm saying, these are what my values are, this is what I care about. Like I mm -hmm. feel like the arts are where we are able to communicate that the most clearly. And I don't always think we know that as Americans, right? Like I, yeah. I really wonder. Yeah, I mean, succinctly put, and I mean this with zero hyperbole, art advances society. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I yeah. just believe that. Period. 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 <laughs> and I think the more we uh, act upon that, the better we'll be. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think that's, I think it's it's that it's it's that symbol, you know. Well, Damien Norfleet, we speaking of main courses, we were fed today by this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much. But before we let you go, um, where can the people follow you? Um, what do you have coming up? Um, where where oh can people see your goodness. fabulous art? Oh my goodness. Well, I have a website, which is my first and last name.com. Um, immediately upcoming, I'm doing, of all things, a rock opera oh. that is um, based on, as they say, the greatest story ever told or whatever, but it is about the life of uh, Jesus Christ. It's another one. Based Not or on whatever. Also a bit more on the topic of what we were talking about, um, this fall I'm participating in a recording project of a piece that I premiered a few years ago called Invitation to a Die-In, which is a really um, cool monodrama concert theatrical work composed by um, Nkiru Okoye, 
which basically addresses uh, the epidemic here in our country of uh, public servants killing private citizens, um, also known as police killing black people. Um, it was immediately uh, it was originally composed in memory of Trayvon Martin, um, and I debuted it in 2017, and we took it on tour. But we're about doing a, a large recording project of it, and it's hopefully we can take that out more to the masses. Um, and then I have a few pieces of, them, of my own that I'm composing that are in the works and hopefully will be debuted soon. Um, I'm most I'm mostly excited about these two. One is um, it's it's a it's a trilogy of sorts, but it's basically a piece um, inspired by African American folk tales. Um, that's something that I was never privy to read and or was taught in elementary school. Um, I can tell you about Mother Goose and them. You know what I mean? But I don't know anything about, I can tell about the Brothers and Grimm and all those folks, but I don't know anything about our actual African-American folktales, and there are plenty. So I'm doing this really cool performance work based on um, John Henry um, is one of them. Uh, John and the Old Master is another one tale, which is about, uh, it's, a, it's a, a folktale about the first Black man in America. And then the the last one is called um, Based on All God's Children Have Wings, um, and that's uh, a flying mythos from African-American folktales. So, I mean, those are the personal projects I have coming up in the recording project in the Taste of Die. And I'm very, very excited about that. I think it's something that needs to be seen. Um, and Kiru created a very interesting work. It changes perspective throughout the piece. And it's um, it's very powerful. It's very hard to perform. Um, going back to our original conversation of drawing from this well of trauma. I mean, I'm... I'm absolutely shattered after every performance of it, um, but it's worth it because every time I have performed it, the audience was absolutely transformed as individuals and as a whole. I mean, the conversations I had after every performance of that were um, literally life-changing. So I'm excited about that being uh, put out to the masses. Um, yeah, those are the, the most immediate upcoming things. Okay, and cool. uh, I am on the I am on the Instagram, like kind of, <laughs> like kind of, like I, <laughs> I see your stories every day. Yeah, kinda. but like Instagram for me <laughs> is like a love hate hate a hate hate love love hate love hate relationship. Like I have like deleted accounts and like started new accounts at least a good seven times I, I get my fill and I just can't take it anymore I'm too I think I'm too old for Instagram I don't know I just get like I just have these moments where I just get fed up I'm like delete you know and then, <laughs> then it's it. <laughs> and then I'm like I'm missing out you know it's just like <laughs> and I start a new thing because I'm not really like I'm kind of a private person and I know you I know we need to go but I'm kind of like a private-ish person and there's a certain element of social media that I'm like why <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, y'all are truly in my business in a way that I'm not really a fan of. Like, I, I think that really throws me off. Is like, I guess and this happened not too long ago, but you know, you go somewhere, you meet somebody, and then they're like, oh my God, how's McGonagall? I'm like, wait a minute, how do you know him? Oh, because you went on my social media. I'm like, okay, it's that's that. So that's weird. I when I met my husband, like. 10, 11 years ago, like, I remember one of our first, like, encounters after we first met, I was like, oh, yeah, I was at the, this party, whatever, and he was like, oh, the one where you were wearing the red shirt, and I was just like, ah! See, I don't like that, I don't like that, that is incorrect, somehow, you're too familiar, somehow he, 
he redeemed himself. I don't remember how, but yeah, no, it's too much. But we'll put, we'll put a link to the Instagram in the show notes. And if it's there, it's there. If the link works, it works. If it doesn't, <laughs> go check out <laughs> go check out Damien's website. But Damien, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Oh my god. I can't believe thank it only you. took two years. Just two years. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun, you guys. I had so much fun, y'all. Like, thank you so much for having me. And we had so much fun too. And thank you once again. And everybody stay tuned because we will be right back with Pure Black Joy. Woohoo! Yay! Thank you, Damien. (laughs) (laughs) All right, lovely people. Just want to thank the fabulous Damien Norfleet once again for being with us. That was a wonderful conversation. And now it is time for the best part of our show, the most nutritious part of our show. (laughs) You ready, Paige? Ready. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, PB and J time, y'all. Who should I say the smoothest part of our show? Yes, that is correct. It is time for pure black joy the segment where we talk about all of the black people places mm-hmm. things thoughts ideas food culture art um that is making us happy this week um so who would like to go first i actually have a short one that relates to the first segment actually oh, okay. um so this is really great news coming out of saint paul minnesota rocky oh, um, okay yes the bush foundation which is actually Edith and Archibald Bush, not yes, George Yes, I read Bushes. about this. Yeah, this is actually great news, I'm right? I'm so excited. Um, this is, um, so the, the Bush Foundation is related to 3M, that company. They have funded the Open Road Fund with $50 million. It will be distributed by Nexus Community Partners to, get this everybody, the descendants of enslaved people brought to the U.S. during chattel slavery, during the Atlantic slave trade, also known as Black people. Um, Black people over the age of 14, irrespective of income, who live in Minnesota or the Dakotas will be eligible to apply for $50,000 grants for any kind of wealth building project beginning on June 19th of this month. Um, but it is kind of amazing, right? Like I, I think I mean, this mm-hmm. use of philanthropy is really extraordinary. Um, hopefully it becomes a model. I am not one of the people who has any expectation that the federal government of this particular country is going to backtrack it and change its perspective on reparations. I feel like if these are conversations that are going to advance, they will probably come out of places that are not the government, right? Mm-hmm. And this kind of project is a, a very interesting take on that sort of, you know, notwithstanding our earlier conversation about how Juneteenth is being used. I feel like perhaps this is a very good use of 
that date and thinking about, as Paige pointed out, what it means to be in support of Black communities, right? Bush Absolutely. Foundation literally has put their money where their mouth is, and they had a similar wealth building project for indigenous communities that they launched a few years ago that was incredibly, incredibly successful. So a big bravo to our friends at Bravura. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, we'll, we will put the link to the application in the show notes, y'all. Get your little applications in. I know I'm going to get get mine in and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess and I, I believe there too is, early. There is currently a, a similar, you know, kind of grant cycle going on for Indigenous folks in the same mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right now as well. So, you know, share with your Black and Indigenous friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, share it around. Yes, mm-hmm. and thank you, Bush Foundation, because that's that's dope. That's yeah. dope. <laughs> Paige. Yes, I. Well, okay. First of all, one of my um pure black joys uh to folks who are in the you know Yoruba diaspora. Uh, either in Nigeria or in the Caribbean or in North America or South America. Happy New Year. Um, It is a Yoruba New Year. Um, So yeah, and you know, that comes with you know, for even for folks who who aren't familiar with the tradition, at the beginning of the year, there's also like divination that's performed and like kind of distributed to the rest of the world on what to what to expect for the new year and what things to look out for and you know celebration of you know how far we've come and you know reuniting folks across the diaspora. So yeah, happy happy new year, everybody. Uh, happy new year yes yes also <laughs> i also feel like it felt like a little more appropriate to have a new year around this time just because it's like summer and everything's growing again and i don't know it just feel, it just feels right in my body yeah. it, it it makes yeah. sense <laughs> i've had this perspective for such a long time because obviously the, the calendar is completely man-made which is why everybody didn't have the same one why the year doesn't start in the spring has always escaped me right because it feels like right. that's it's peculiar like, it is peculiar we should like write a complaint to somebody i mean the that. astrological calendar begins in the spring exactly exactly the real one <laughs> exactly exactly What's beginning? What's growing in the dead of winter? Not then. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, yeah. wearing thin is about the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then my other, okay, so yes, Ekuodun. That's how we say Happy New Year in Yoruba. Ekuodun. Uh, my other pure Black joy was that this past week, I got to see the legend, the icon, Yes, we were together again, Janet Ooh, Jackson. <laughs> and Ludacris too. Ludacris opened up, opened up the show. And oh uh, yeah, it was just my inner child was very, very happy. My inner child could not believe that we were seeing Janet Jackson. <laughs> like, what? Excuse me? I was singing along most of the time. <laughs> Mind you, we were in like 
maybe like the dead last row (laughs) 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 and I still had a fabulous time it just so fun like it just felt like such a celebration of you know her musical legacy uh just so many like I feel like little like nuggets and like Easter eggs to Janet's choreography and her music videos. And, you know, of course she got to have a moment where somebody's in a chair or strapped to a something <laughs> and she dancing on them. Everybody knows that. Um, it was, it was incredible. And she did an encore in the most beautiful way I have ever seen. It brought tears to my eyes. First of all, I like I like an artist who makes you work for an encore a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. make you work for it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to prove that you really want them to come back out. And so, you know, everything, everything is dark. And then you start to just hear like her singing the beginning of Together Again. And they have all mm. these video monitors and up on the video monitors, they come back on and you see like her makeup getting retouched up in the back (laughs) (laughs) and like the camp there's these live cameras that are on her and she just starts singing you know there are times when I love like very slow (laughs) and the cameras are following her back to the stage and you know you see her backstage dancer like her backup dancers looking at her and smiling and they're excited too and she finally makes her way back on the stage and by that time the beat is going everywhere (laughs) y'all y'all it was a moment i i shed a tear it was it was so great shout out to her and this tour and and luda too ludacris looks good y'all he, really? he and he yes huh. and he was rapping all the words Let's moving that around fast the, and the stage. furious money <laughs> listen if that fast and the furious money he must be one of these rappers who went like plant-based or something like that and been taking good care of himself after all the wilding he did you know because he he sounded good rapped all the words did not sound out of breath was moving around the stage was getting the crowd nice and hyped up for janet so all around good show yeah it's- but let me get this straight. You are seeing Janet and Beyonce in the same summer. Where yeah. have you yes. gone right that I went wrong? Like, yeah. that's all I want to know. Yeah. And then I'm seeing summer. Anita Baker in the fall. Oh, where? Period. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm actually going all the way to Memphis to see Auntie Anita because I, I, I was going to go wherever i needed to go that, that's that's all yep huh. oh. mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. i'm jealous of you <laughs> all right well well damn <laughs> no other way to say it i feel like it's like low-key my year of black music i'm mm-hmm. just like celebrating the black music i love that's really mm-hmm. what i'm trying to do honestly mm-hmm. you deserve it you, you do 100 percent And speaking of Black music, um, so I know that I, well, we were talking earlier before we started recording just about how this week has been trash. (laughs) Hot garbage. Hot garbage for us in our our personal lives and, of course, um, the hot garbage spewing from Canada. Um, (laughs) But there has been one thing this the past couple of weeks that has truly been warming my heart has just put a smile on my face 
every time I've gotten to see it, and I know earlier on this podcast, I said I was not here for Renaissance Tour spoilers because I want to experience <laughs> the whole thing. But these videos of Blue Ivy dancing Aww. with her mom, oh it is so adorable and fierce at the same time she is just everything and then watching Beyonce watch her while she dances and then watching her get better like she was I mean she was hitting all the moves in Paris but by the time they got to Barcelona she was like putting her back into it and going (laughs) for it and like keeping up with Beyonce and like it's just uh it just it just puts a smile on your face. Uh, cause she's just so talented and I just can't wait to see what she does in the future. And it's like, thank goodness you're going into your parents' line of work and keeping the family business going. <laughs> and so just shout out to Blue Ivy and Beyonce and all the Knowleses and all the Carters and <laughs> and Solange. Always to Solange. Oh yeah. Oh, as soon as blue is as soon as blue links up with Solange, then it's really over. It's over. It's over for it's you girls. <laughs> Talk blue about art so being cool. the main the main entree. Good lord. <laughs> so love how blue is just so just strikes me as being so cool. Mm-hmm. Just so cool. Something about her her demeanor like reminds me. She like reminds me like Aaliyah. You know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> I, 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 ugh. just like uh, chill so with joy. that confidence. Which I mean, of course, yes. you can be confident if you know Beyonce is your mom. <laughs> Hello, and co-signing <laughs> you, but like also like those moments where she's like, you know, you can tell she's just she's a little kid still. There's this one point where like she's about to start hitting the choreography, like the. The beat's about to come in and she sees somebody in the audience and she's completely gagged. I don't know if it was Oprah or who, <laughs> Meghan Markle, I don't know. But she, like, you see her go like, oh my God. And then the music starts and she just gets back into it. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> it's just so cute. It's so cute. It just, it just made my whole week, all of those videos. So I don't know if Blue Ivy's going to be here with us in, in Minneapolis, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. So I hope, hope so. so. I hope so. It's Doesn't like she it. like Prince? She she want to perform. She wants to go to Paisley Park. She, she want to perform for us. Yes. Well, let us pray. <laughs> but on that note, I think we are going to uh, call it an episode for this week. Um, join us next week. We're going to have these fabulous Juneteenth panel, and like I said at the beginning of the show we are going to have a big announcement about the show which i hope um people have good feelings about (laughs) 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 but we'll see (laughs) we'll see um but until then um subscribe on your favorite uh podcatcher of choice um, tell all your friends about us. Please leave us a review. Um, that would be really, really nice. Um, five stars, maybe with some words. Um, <laughs> that would be even better. And until then, any words of wisdom, y'all? If you're going outside and you live 
on the eastern half of the United States, put on a mask. Yes. 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 Which hopefully you have left over. Right. And if you don't, take this as an opportunity to be reminded of what state the world is in. It's exactly. And given the number of people that I know um, in my circle who have COVID at the Ooh, moment, cow. you might just want to stock up on those anyway, because mm-hmm. it seems yeah. like that's becoming a thing again, like yeah. it never wasn't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> a, a high quality mask, which are mm-hmm. more readily available now. We've all established We've all have established that, you know, your little cloth joints that we (laughs) that we that we all uh, stocked up on are maybe not the best choice. uh, But, you know, we have we have advanced things since then for folks who have remained COVID conscious. So, you know, go 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 put on that. Go get that order. You can can find something that Mm -hmm. is effective and cute and goes with your outfit. They come in all sorts of colors. Mm -hmm. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) word to the wise (laughs) all right everybody well we will see you in two weeks and thank you so much for being a part of the score thank you to damian norfleet for being with us and um thank you lord for another day on this planet i guess (laughs) 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 all right that's it bye bye bye